you want to turn to 2 Timothy 3, you see we only got two scriptures this morning. But never fear. The Lord is here. Thank you, Jimmy, for the song. story is told about a little five-year-old. He came to church with his grandmother. He had been coming for a while, so he knew the routine. And the preacher was into his sermon. Well, the little five-year-old, he had read his books a couple times, and he had a couple toys with him, and he played with his toys, and they were, he was bored with that. And he was starting to get hungry, and, uh, you know, it was, he's fidgeting in the pew, and it's like, you know, what's he going to do? So he leans over to Grandma, and he says, do you think if we gave him the money now we could go? So for him, it was all about, you know, you just come and you give the preacher the money and then you get to go home. And that was, uh, that was his thinking. Uh, and so that, that kind of led me into this, was a good lead into these thoughts here. What, what is the purpose of teaching, as you see the title? What is the purpose for it? And believe me, it has a purpose. In fact, there, we might say there are multi-level purposes uh, for teaching. But there is an end purpose for all teaching and preaching of the Word of God. And I think, I think we have missed this uh, to a great extent. And we have fallen short of achieving this purpose whenever we teach. Whether we're talking about you know, little ones downstairs, a Wednesday night class, a preacher in a pulpit, or you're talking one-on-one with somebody and trying to persuade them about Jesus. There is an end purpose that we should all be thinking about when we present, present the Word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is inspired by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Now, teaching, some translations have doctrine, and that's just presenting the basic facts, okay, the basic truths that are in the Bible, the truths about creation, about the world, about Christ and God and ourselves and all that. Reproof, that's when we need to change something. We need to be told, you know, you're not doing the right thing, you're believing the wrong thing or something like that. And then the follow-on correction is, okay, What is the right thing to do? Those two go hand in hand. There's reproof and then there's correction. This is is the right truth to believe. This is the way to live. This is the way to worship. This is the way a person is saved. And then training in righteousness or instruction in righteousness. The word training there is the idea of discipline. Okay? Where you learn how to live a disciplined life in order to be pleasing to God. You are trained to be Christ-like, okay? That's part of the teaching. But there's an end purpose. Those are all important, but those are all leading somewhere, okay? We don't stop at any one of them. We just don't pick one of them. Or even if if we do all four of them, there is an end result, 
Okay, and this is what we always have to keep in mind whenever we're doing any of this kind of teaching, any teaching of the Word of God. So let's go to Colossians 1. And Paul here presents this. Of course, Paul is an apostle of God, apostle of Christ, one sent, is inspired of God. He's been all over the Mediterranean teaching the Word of God. I think we would trust that Paul knew what he was talking about when he was talking about teaching. Uh, he preached in synagogues. He preached by the river. He, you know, he taught in just about any venue. And he taught the Word of God, and he taught it well. Sometimes he was well-received, and sometimes he was driven out of town. But nevertheless, he taught the truth. So we're going to look here in Colossians 1, starting with verse 24. And he's going to take us through this kind of little section here to take us to this end result of all the purpose of why he is doing what he's doing. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. I don't think anybody could ever say that Paul was not devoted to Christ nor dedicated to his work. He gave up everything for Christ. We read that in Philippians 3. He says, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, a Pharisee, etc., a tribe of Benjamin. He says, I count all that as garbage, as trash so that I might know Christ. He gave it up. He worked his, as we would say, he worked his tail off for Christ. I mean, he was out, he, he explains this to the Corinthians. He says, I worked harder than all these other apostles, because he always saw himself as being the least of the apostles. You know, he was persecuted of the church. He said, so he's out there, he's going on these missionary journeys, and he's, Getting his, li his life is endangered. He suffered greatly for Christ. Second Corinthians, he, he details those in sufferings of shipwrecks and beatings and, and being in prison in a couple of different places. So he knew what it was about. And at this writing, in fact, he was in prison when he wrote this letter. And he was more than willing to suffer for Christ. And it's interesting, you know, he says, I'm filling up what's lacking in Christ's affliction. The body there, meaning the body of Christ. And the main reason he was suffering was because he was preaching the word of God. It wasn't just because he was out there sightseeing in these different places and somebody didn't like him. You know, that, that isn't why they, they persecuted him. And he wasn't just out there attending church. You know, going, oh, just attending church and being a good guy. That isn't why he was being persecuted. He was being persecuted because he was proclaiming a different God. Something that was totally new to the society and something that was going to disrupt everything. The truth of God. That's why he was being persecuted. Verse 25. Of this church, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God, bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is, the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations has now been manifested to his saints. 
he was particularly chosen on the road to Damascus. As we said, he was a persecutor of the church, and his life was completely turned around. Have you ever encountered anything or learned anything, been in a situation that totally changed your life? Many of us have. And hopefully when we encountered Christ, that totally changed our life. But sometimes other things do as well. A uh, serious situation, you know, we, we have a brush with death. And boy, somebody gets real serious about life in a hurry and say, wait a minute, I just about lost it all. I better get my ducks in a row here and my life in order. And life changes real fast. He was given a particular, as we would say, stewardship from, from Jesus to fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. Some translations there say to fulfill the word of God or to make the word of God fully known. I think there's a couple different aspects to that here in his teaching. One was to take the word of God wherever Jesus would send him. Like we said, Paul, Paul went all over the place. He's in Philippi, he's in Thessalonica, uh, he was in Malta, he was in Antioch, Derby, and Lystra, Ephesus, Corinth, Athens. So he was, he was a spreader of the word of God, to make it fully known. But there's another aspect to this as well, to teach the whole counsel of God, Acts 20 and 7. He said to the Ephesians earlier, I'm, you know, I'm innocent of the blood of all men. I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel or purpose of God. I've told you everything that you need to know. So he, he fully declared it. So that's another aspect of the teaching here, and he's, he was well aware of this, and this is something that he did. And then Paul here mentions a mystery. He was blessed and charged with revealing this mystery which was hidden for ages. And Peter talks about that mystery too, a revelation that comes through the gospel, through the gospel of Christ, manifested or revealed to his saints. You know, a lot of things, uh, if you read through the Old Testament, Psalms, Ecclesiastes, and other places, things are kind of cloudy. In fact, uh, the reading we had this morning that Brian read for us, you know, talked about my soul will not uh, be left in Hades nor my flesh see corruption. Well, that's there in Psalm 16, and it's, it's a prophecy, but if you don't know what that's really about, you kind of wonder, you know, what, what is being talked about there? Soul won't be left in Hades? My flesh won't see corruption? Everybody knew bodies died, and, and you, they became corrupted. They rotted away. But then we see that revealed in Acts chapter 2 when Peter quotes that very psalm, doesn't he, in regard to Jesus Christ. And that has to do with his, when he died on the cross and then when he was raised from the dead, that his soul was not left in Hades, in Sheol. And his body did not see decay. So there's, you know, that's the kind of thing we're talking about here, this when the Holy Spirit came, these things were fully revealed to the apostles and then they could then proclaim them and they could write about them and say, this is what a lot of these things mean 
And so, you know, Paul here is saying this mystery which has been hidden from the past ages has now been revealed to his holy ones, the, the saints. You know, that's the church. That's us. Verse 27. To whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. God willed to do this. This was his purpose. This was his plan. And it gave him great pleasure to do it, as we read in another place. The riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. Now that's part of this mystery that that was revealed to the saints. You know, the scriptures came through Moses, the Hebrews, the Jews. And they, uh, you know, as, the, as we say, were God's chosen people. But he chose them to reflect what it was like to serve God, to be blessed of God, and to be the people of God, and that through them, the Messiah would come who would be a blessing to all the world. But this is another mystery that was revealed in Isaiah in particular and a couple other places in the Old Testament. It talks about that this servant of God who would come would also be a light to the Gentiles. So what was that all about? He's going to be a light to the Gentiles. Well, we see now, and we read it in particular in Ephesians chapter 2, that Jesus came to make both one, both groups, Jew and Gentile, one in the church. And he would be the savior of all men, not just the Jewish race, but of all men. And so this was, this was part of Paul's uh, stewardship. He was in particular sent to the Gentiles, Although he did talk to Jews a lot, he in particular was sent to the rich, to the uh, to the Gentiles. I want to look at that phrase there: the riches of the glory. You know, this is something that we, we've discussed and talked about from time to time. Do we really grasp? what God is trying to give to us in Christ. The riches of his glory. The riches of God being revealed to us. The, the future that he has in store for us. Uh, the blessings. Uh, Shirley and I had breakfast yesterday with a good couple that we, we love and friends with us. And we got to talking about this around the breakfast table and, you know, the, uh, the situations we run into, they have situations in their life, you know, we do, y'all do, everybody does, uh, problems and troubles, and some are worse than others, and, but they all come and go. And we were just talking and saying, you know, when we realize life eternal, when we, as we would say, get there, Jimmy led us mansions over the hilltop, we're going to look back at things that we struggled with, squabbled about, dealt with, and say, are you kidding me? I let that bother me? That was a, that was a problem that, 
you know, I let get to me and bring me down or cause me to do this or that, we're going to say, wow, th this is incredible. What, what, what was I doing? What was I thinking back there, you know? And thank God he was patient with me, you know, merciful and willing to forgive me because of the way I acted. When he says, you know, hang in there. And another thought that we had, God is just looking for people to trust him with their lives. Just trust me, he said. Yeah, I know. He, you know Paul just talked about his suffering. Yeah, there is suffering. There are problems. Some we bring on ourselves. Some it's just because of aging and, you know, the curse on the planet. Sometimes it's the devil attacking us and bringing things into our life. But God says, trust me. Just trust me. Well, I'll get you through it, and it's going to be worth it. There's no doubt about it. So this is part of, you know, I wanted to talk about the riches of the glory that's going to be shared also, which is the, uh, among the Gentiles. And then the latter part of 27, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now here's a real mystery, and I, you know, there, there are two or three different mysteries here being revealed, okay? It's not just all about the Gentiles are going to be part of this. Here is part of this mystery, Christ in you. Now how is that possible? You know, those under the law of Moses would never have been able to grasp this. How does Christ live in me? In fact, it's not on your list. Turn back a few pages to Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. All right, he's speaking spiritually here. All right. In other words, I'm dead. I'm a dead man, the old man. I'm dead. It's no longer I who live. It's not me now. But Christ lives in me. In the life which when I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Christ lives in me through the Holy Spirit whom he sent. Christ in lives in me by the word of God that I obey that I study and I, you know, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It fills us, it directs us, it guides us, it blesses us. So this is what Paul is talking about. Christ in you, which is the hope of glory. You know, we're never going to, we've said this a thousand times, we never make it on our own. It's only because of what Christ did at the cross to give us forgiveness, but it's also because of what he does in and through us by the power of the Holy Spirit to help us to live the life we need to live. He just, he's everywhere. His arms are around us everywhere to help us do what we need to do. We just kind of cooperate. We saw that in our Bible study this morning with Joab fighting the, the uh, Ammonites and the Arameans. He got, his, he got his choice guys out there and his army there. He's kind of surrounded. And he says, okay, we're going to do our part. We're going to fight, but we're going to put it in the Lord's hands. 
We, we trust the Lord to be with us. And that's the way we all live on a daily basis, or should live. I have a thing to do. I have a part to play. I need to make the right decision. But I'm trusting God to be with me to do that. Okay, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Verse 28. We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. All right, so we proclaim him. All right, it starts with the gospel. But Jesus is the focal point of our teaching. He always is. Always has, but should have been. We proclaim him. He's the word of God. He is the Savior. He is Lord of all, King of kings, head of the church, the perfect man. He is the message. He's the Alpha and the Omega. Look at it this way. He is the beginning for you because he is the gospel, right? Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. He's buried and was raised again the third day. All right. So that's where it all starts. But what's the end point? The end point is what? For everyone to be conformed to the image of Christ, isn't it? So we're put into Christ and we grow in Christ and we're to become Christ-like. It's all about him. It's all about him. And notice that's what Paul says is the latter part of 28, and this is the point. That we may present every man complete in Christ. Complete there means mature, or the word perfect in the Greek, but mature. That is the end point, the purpose of all teaching to present every man per- perfect in Christ. You know, sometimes we start out well. You know, we, we're focused on evangelism, the gospel. Let's get somebody into the water, baptize them in the name of the Lord. That's great. But we cannot stop there. That is not the end purpose of teaching the Word of God. The, teach, the end purpose is then to have them become complete, perfected, mature in Christ Jesus. Because then, that person also becomes a disciple maker. Becomes someone who is profitable for service in the kingdom of God. This, it, the church is to be self-perpetuating. Okay? To self-perpetuate itself through the power of Christ. Make disciples who are to go make disciples who are to go make disciples. That's God's plan. And this is, this is the end purpose, to, pre- to present every man complete in Christ. Notice 29, what's he say? For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power which mightily works in me. There's that picture again. Paul's laboring. Paul's working. Paul's traveling. Paul's preaching. Paul's sweating to present every man perfect in Christ. Yes, you've got to bring them in, but we've got to perfect them. Boy, you think about trying to perfect a group, you think about the church at Corinth. When's the last time you read 1 Corinthians? Wow. 
That church had a lot of problems, and Paul had a lot of problems with that church. He was trying to get them perfected in Christ. That's the end result. Some of, some of them were listening, and some of them were not. Paul's laboring, but he's also trusting, what, the power which mightily works in me. That's Christ, you see. He's doing his part, but he knows Christ is working in him. That power, the Holy Spirit working in him to help him accomplish this task, wherever he was. Preachers and teachers who understand this, all right, what Paul is trying to accomplish Understand that that is the end result of preaching. Really do labor. They really do work. Shirley and I laugh every once in a while. People wonder what I do all week. How do I fill up my week? You don't realize what I do. Prayer, the study, calls, the laboring, emotionally and spiritually. Those who are devoted to Christ, and I'm not trying to toot my horn, but they understand this passage of Scripture. Their study, preparation, prayer, the actual speaking and instructing, the listening to the feedback, if there is any, observing what happens and doing it again and again and again and again. Back in that uh, Second Timothy, chapter 4 and 2, right after the 316, I know it's not on your list, Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. The great patience has to be one of the keys to teaching, to bring people to perfection. Why is that? Because we all fail. Some really struggle. Some don't even try. Like we said, they get baptized and they sit on the seat and they think it's over. And you try to reach them. It's, it's heart-rending. His power, which mightily works in me. I pray a lot, let the Spirit of God use me. I pray a lot for you all, that you all might be filled with the Holy Spirit. So your prayer for me, I know many of you pray for me, and I appreciate it, I need the prayers, but for all our teachers, elders, that should be the prayer. Let the Spirit of God use me to go deeper into the Word truly understand it, to proclaim it with power and with patience, and that all of our hearts might be opened to this word of truth, the word of life. All teaching, 
has to have this in mind. Whether we're just getting started somewhere along the, the middle of the road or getting toward maturity, that that's where we're going to present every man, every woman complete in Christ Jesus. That's the end point that we have to be moving toward. From Christ in the gospel to the image of Christ to present every man complete. Where are you on that journey? Have you obeyed the gospel? Are you in Christ? Are you starting in Christ yet? I, maybe you have, maybe you haven't. But we're here to assist you with that. You know, we proclaim him. We proclaim him. The savior of the world. And if we're not saved, if we're not in him, we're, we're, we're going to be disappointed. We're going to lose out. We're not going to spend eternity with him. Now, the fullness of joy is. That's where it is. That was in the end of Psalm 16, by the way. Did you notice that? The fullness of joy is with the Lord. That's what we're all looking for, isn't it? We're kind of looking for happiness here in this life. And, you know, he blesses us and some things are really good. And we say life is good, but then things happen. And we, we still know deep inside there is something that is just not complete. And that's the Lord. And we'll never, we'll never have that completeness until we get there. When the presence of the Lord is a fullness of joy, and we'll be totally satisfied. So maybe you want to begin your journey this morning. Uh, you want to respond to the song, fine. If not, I'll be back there on the way out, or talk to Mike or Mike or Rick. Give us a call. If the Word of God has touched you, don't put it off. You're a Christian, and you've been a Christian for 20 or 30 years, and you're not mature yet. Wow. And I think I can say this safely, that it shouldn't take that long. It really shouldn't, if you're dedicated and devoted to the Lord. Maybe you need to re rededicate yourself, to refocus and say, Lord, you know, uh, I'm kind of dragging my feet here. I need to get with it. Uh, uh, you know, it, uh, I'm just I'm just struggling here, and I don't know why I'm too too worldly, uh, afraid, whatever it is. And so we're here to assist you with that as well. So if you want to respond, uh, talk to us some way. You know, this is life. This is life eternal. So, as I said, if the word has touched you, don't put it off. Brother Jim, if you would.